Evening, everyone. It is great to see everyone here tonight. Great to be back with you tonight. Thank you so much for the encouragement that you are and have been to me this week. I appreciate so very much uh, everything you guys have done from lunch today, as has been said. We had it there at the Dairy Queen, and, and we just, I'm telling you, it's incredible to watch and, and to see the fellowship and everything that everybody gets to have. And so we're so thankful for that. And, and thank you to Brother Vernon and, and Sister Charlene this evening for a great dinner and a great meal and, and time of fellowship at your home. Thank you for opening your home to me tonight. Uh, that was just, uh, just incredible. And so appreciate that so very much. As we continue our theme of the week, Can God Count on Me? Tonight we look specifically at Can the World Count on Me? Now I want you to think about the world for just a moment. If you would be opening your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, we'll begin there in verse 15 here in just a moment. You know, we, last night we spoke for a few minutes about Genesis uh, chapter 6. And we think about Genesis chapter 6 and the world at that time. Beginning there about verse 5, we learn that the world is wicked and it is evil. And then we see that the thoughts and the intents of the heart were evil continually, all the time. When they got up, they thought about evil. As they went about their day, they thought about evil. As they uh, sat in their homes, they thought about evil. Before they went to bed, they were thinking about evil. Now, that's the thoughts and the intents of the heart. As we think about the world at that time, and we think perhaps how crazy that is that they would think about that, we see a man stand out in contrast, don't we? In fact, he stood out in stark contrast. We see in verse number 8, the word but. And so here's the contrast that comes. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we think about Noah in Hebrews chapter 11, right? That great faith chapter, a chapter of great faith. There in verse number 6, we see that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever comes to Him must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who, and here's our word that we saw last night, diligently seek Him. There's the responsibility. And then I look at this as being the epitome of example. Verse 7 says, Noah. By faith, Noah. We think about him being divinely warned of things not yet seen, prepared, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which also he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness. When we think about, here's the contrast, okay? And that's what I want you to look at tonight. Can the world count on me? And as Kendall said as we began this evening, can the world count on me to be a contrast? Can they look at me to be different than everybody else around me? Am I going to look different than those that are in the world? And, and as I said, in 1 John chapter 2, I want you to think about these words because here is a great description of the world and what the world looks like. And this John gives us, 1 John chapter 2, beginning here in verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Do you see our three-letter word, all? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I believe the New American Standard there says the boastful. 
wrong with having pride and in, in taking pride in or taking pride in what we do um, as far as our homes or, or taking pride in the things that we have by taking care of those things. No, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a problem when those things come before God because that's when they become boastful pride. And we put them before God and they become ungodly for us. They cause us to then become ungodly. All that is in the world, when we see this sinfulness, maybe we think of Matthew chapter 4 with Pentecost, he says, you know, all you got to do is bow down to me, give you everything you see, all of it. And then he tries to quote scripture, doesn't he? He takes him up on the pinnacle of the, of the temple and he says, you know what scripture says? You throw yourself off that the angels won't allow you to dash your foot, that they'll come and they'll rescue you, they'll save you. Jesus, can you imagine the look on his face as the devil tries to quote scripture to him? I can I, I would love to be a fly on the wall that day to watch the look on Jesus' face as he looks at him and says, you know what, Satan? You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You need to get. You need to go away. Brethren, tonight I want us to look at the contrast. All that is in the world are these three things. And they can really be summed up in the word sin. Because all of this is sin and it's selfishness. Do you know what the opposite of Christianity is? Selfishness. What's the opposite of Christianity? Because it's all about me. You know the thing about Christianity? It is nothing to do with me. It is about everyone else. God comes first and then everybody else. It's selfless. As a Christian, we are called to be selfless. The world calls us to be selfish. Think about everything that we see in the world today. It's all about the three most important people in your life. Me, myself, and I. Do you understand? It's all about us. Do what makes you happy. God will accept you where you are. These are my church clothes. Have you ever seen those billboards? They drive me insane. You have people who show up and, and they have... and I, There's nothing wrong with being dressed in rags. Please don't misunderstand me. It's the thought behind it. And you see these people and their clothes are all cut up and, and they come walking into services and these are my church clothes. Why? Because this is all I'm giving to God. It's all I'm giving. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to do anything different. This is who I am. I'm coming to Him. Think about how many times have we heard, come to God as you are. He'll accept you as you are. That's not what the Bible teaches us. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Let's see what the Bible teaches us. Let's see what the Bible says about it and how you and I are to act and how we are to look. Because you see, the thing about God, the thing about... Well, let me ask you this question. Let's just take God out of it for just a moment. When you started, husbands and wives, when you started dating, did you want to impress the one that you were asking out on a date, guys? When you asked her out, did you show up with your hair all nappy on top did you show up in rags in front of her door to pick her up no your hair was combed or clean shaven <laughs> I don't know about him <laughs> whichever the case may be right I promise you bathed before you went to get her right you pulled up there and you had a nice, you had your gas tank filled with gas 
your car was cleaned out, you'd, you'd gotten rid of the McDonald's bags and, and all the fast food bags that were in the passenger floorboard. Maybe I'm giving myself away. But all of those things were thrown away, right, when you went to pick her up. You see, we take care of ourselves, right? We cleaned up. Why would we expect God to think any differently? You see, when we come to Him, when we make a change in our life, and by come to Him, I'm not telling you walk in that door of the building. I'm telling you when you come to Him and you submit to His will and His authority, look at the expectation God has of us. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse number 1. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 here. Paul writes to the churches at Rome, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I believe the New American Standard continues there and says of worship, because that's what our life should look like before him. Verse 2, and be, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do you see what the will of God is? It's good, acceptable, perfect. Do you understand we're not to conform? Do not be conformed to this world. In other words, do not look like everybody else. You're not to look like everybody else. We'll talk more about that here in just a moment. But you are to be transformed. Anybody ever watch the movie Transformers? Man, when I was a kid, Transformers was a cartoon. I had, and for those of you who are too young to understand this, then just pay attention anyway. Optimus Prime was the coolest guy ever, right? Optimus Prime is this massive semi, and he was the leader. And we had, I had a, one Christmas, I got a, a, a helmet that was an Optimus Prime helmet. You spoke into it, and his voice came out. I was the leader of the cousins. Okay? I was the leader of the cousins that Christmas because I had an Optimus Prime helmet and I was telling them what to do. I'm Optimus Prime and I'm the leader. They're called Transformers. What do they do? They transform. They, right? Do we understand God's calling us right here to change? That's what we're finding. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed. Where does the change start? Right here in our mind. This is where, have you ever told your kids or ever somebody tell you, make up your mind. Make a decision. She does that when I ask her where she wants to go to dinner. You choose, you pick. So I just pulled in McDonald's and she looks at me like I made up my mind. She doesn't like McDonald's. That's why I pull in there. She'll choose next time. She'll make up her mind. Transform. Change. You are not to be the same any longer. Instead, notice we have a responsibility. And the responsibility is that we are to prove. You ever had somebody tell you something and you say, prove it? Hey, man, guess what I can do? I can do 300 push-ups. Prove it. Well, not now, right? I mean, I just had this massive meal and everything. I can't do it right now. 
Have you ever had somebody tell you something, though, that you know is outlandish and you tell them to prove it? Do you know it's not outlandish? The will of God and being able to prove it. You see, when we change, we change our mind first. It all starts right here. I'm not going to be the same person anymore. Anybody ever had a bad habit? I'll tell you about my bad habit, okay? I'll give you mine. In fact, I smoked and one day I made up my mind that I wasn't going to do it anymore. Kendall and I talked about this a little bit today. People will say, I'm going to try to, to stop doing that. You've just set yourself up for failure, period. Okay? You see, God says, you transform your mind. You be different. And it starts right here with you making a decision. I'm making a decision. I'm not going to do that anymore. And I threw it in the trash can and I haven't picked it back up since. And that's been several years ago. And I'm thankful for that. But do you understand that we can make up our minds to do something? Our minds are powerful. When we look at everybody around us and we think about what is, especially right now, our world has flipped upside down and gone cuckoo crazy. Have you looked at them lately? People are nuts. Let me tell you something right now. How easy do you think it should be to shine as a Christian? What did Jesus tell us to do in Matthew chapter 5? He begins the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and we get 14 verses in, which is about this much in the grand scheme of things. We get in about this much and He says, You are the light of the world. If we're the light of the world and we contrast the world, the world is darkness. They're black as night. We are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and place it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand that it gives light to all who are in the room. Let your light so shine as a light in the room that gives light to all who are in the room. And if we're the light of the world, then our light is to shine in the world. Can the world count on me to do that? Because then notice what happens with it. Not only does that light so shine before men, but they can see your good works and then glorify your Father who is in heaven. We're told in 1 John chapter 1, beginning about verse 5, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And so if we shine as lights in the world and it's to get God the glory and to give God the glory, do we understand that our light then shows Him? And, and I, get, I get frustrated, and I understand the sentiment, and so please don't misunderstand me and think that somebody misspeaks, but they call us light reflectors. Jesus doesn't call us a reflector. He just says, you are the light of the world. As a light, we are to shine as God. If God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Anybody seen the, that meme or that picture on Facebook or other social media sites that it has a match? that's on fire and it's held up against the wall and you can't see any shadow of the flame? And I, somebody, they said, man, that really clicked with me to help me to understand that there is no darkness in light at all. We're the ones who cast shadows. The world casts shadows. It's the worldliness in us at times that casts shadows. We're not to cast a shadow. We're to be different. We're called to be different. We're called to transform. We're called to change. We are called as the body of Christ, as Christians, 
to look different than everybody else around us. And as we said, right now especially, this should be especially easy for us to be seen by everybody else in the world. No one else looks like us. No one else thinks like us. No one else is to act like us. They don't walk like us, talk like us, act like us at all. Instead, we have a president of the United States, and I'm not bashing our president, so please don't misunderstand me. But think about a law that Texas recently passed on abortion. Our president stood before the entire country on television and said these words, and I'm going to dumb this down, okay? That it is un-American for a woman not to be able to murder her baby. Do you understand that? Un-American for a woman not to be able to murder her baby, because that's what abortion is. It's murder. So let's just call a spade a spade. It's un-American for you not to be able to kill somebody. Do, you, do we understand? There are seven things that God abhors in Proverbs chapter 6, beginning there about verse 16. And one of those are hands that shed innocent blood. Well, what do we think those doctors are doing or those people are doing? And I would not call them doctors. I would tell you that we should call them what they are, and that is murderers. They are monsters that murder innocent blood. It's not okay. It's not okay. And I'm not going to tell you that it's un-American, brethren. It is ungodly that we would allow people to murder. It's ungodly to, to murder innocent children, to uh, murder unborn babies. It's ungodly. It's not just un-American because they're not allowed to do it. It's ungodly to do so. We need to realize and understand that this is where we need to be speaking out against things. We need to be standing against things that are ungodly. When we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, and I'm not telling you to go stand on a corner with a picket sign. What I'm telling you is that our life is to show this. We speak against it. We vote against it. We live against it. And we encourage others to do the same in the manner in which we live our life. It's not about the words just that we say. People, you can tell people all day long, I can tell my wife that I love her and then beat her. What does that show her? To show that I love her? Well, I told her I loved her. Isn't that enough? No, I have to show it. I have to back it up by my action. We are called to action. A Christian life is not a spectator life, okay? Never are we allowed as a Christian to stand on the sideline and watch life go by. It's not a spectator life. A Christian, it's not a title that we wear. It is who we are. It is an action of life. It is a verb. And it describes a person who is dedicated and diligent to follow after godliness. It is a person who is not conformed to looking and living like everybody else. It is a person who has been transformed by the renewing of their mind to prove what that good and acceptable and perfect will of God is because His will is perfect. And if we demonstrate and show that every day in our life, just as we've said this week, if I change this person right here, then it spreads to everybody else around me. My question again, 
Can the world count on me to be different? Can they count on me to be godly? Can they count on me to be transformed because I don't look like, think like, act like them any longer? You know, when we became a Christian, did you immediately go out and live the same, t- the same way that you did the day before? I hope not. Did we say, well, God, listen, I became a Christian, but it's going to take me some time to change, okay? Something pierced you and convicted you to take that step to get in the water. And it's that same conviction that gets us to keep going for Him, to live for Him. Now, I want you to think about yourself for just a moment. I told you this week, I ask you to be selfish. Maybe not in the way that we normally think of, not anti-Christian, okay? Not the opposite of Christianity. But I'm asking you to be selfish for just a minute. I want you to think about you. Can you recall the day that you were baptized? How'd you feel? Probably we felt humbled because of the fact that we realized that we're not perfect and we showed submission to God. But when we came out of that watery grave of baptism, how many of you were on fire for the Lord? How many of you still have that fire today? How many of you have watched that fire go out and come back and go out and come back? Yeah, me. I'll just point my, the finger at me, okay? Because when I point at you, there's three fingers that go right back at this guy, okay? I can talk about myself. It's easy to talk about me. I can pick on me all day long. But I've watched that. Anybody ever read Judges? Well, that's the darkest book in Scripture, isn't it? We think about all that God did for the children of Israel, how He takes them by the hand and leads them out, out of captivity and out of everything, and He shows them, He takes them in 11 days, crossing the Red Sea and going to Mount Sinai, 11 days to get to Kadesh Barnea, to go into the land and to spy it out, and then He wants to show them, this is the land I'm giving you, here's a bunch of grapes. How many guys had to carry that bunch of grapes? Two guys. Let me tell you something. I can carry a bunch of grapes today right here out of the grocery store with no problem. It's not even a workout. It took two guys to carry a bunch of grapes on a staff in between them. I mean, we're talking about a grape the size probably of a basketball. Can you imagine walking out and God says, here's what I'm going to give you guys. And they're like, nope, we're grasshoppers, can't do it. How many times do we do that in our own life? How many times do we look at that and we think, God, you're asking too much of me. You're asking too much of me to give up that person or to give up everything. I can't do that all, God. God says, absolutely you can because I'm that powerful and I'm that mighty. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. I want to continue to look at this contrast that we see between the flesh or the world and us as Christians and who we are to be. In Galatians chapter 5, we're all familiar. Beginning there, we're going to go verses 16 through 23, by the way, Caleb. We're all familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, but I want to back up just a minute. Number 16. I want to stay there. Here Paul writes to the churches at Galatia, says, I say, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. They're contrary. Do you see that? Here's the contrast that we see. They contrast one another. 
the world in Noah's day, wicked and evil, but, here contrast, Noah. World, Noah. Okay? Here we see the flesh on one side and the spirit on the other. They contrast one another. They don't look anything alike. They do not get along. As much as the world wants to say, come to God on your own terms, as much as the world wants to say, God will accept you wherever you are or how you are, the Bible says otherwise. And here we see the contrast. So the spirit and the flesh do not get along. They war against, in fact, one another. Continuing on in verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. You know what evident is? Clearly seen. Okay? When we go to trial and you watch a trial, they bring forth evidence. Right? Here are the things that are clearly seen. Here's why he is clearly guilty or clearly not guilty because of the evidence I can bring forth that you can see with your own eyes, okay? So pay attention because this is the flesh. These are the works, the actions, the habit of life, the manner of life for those who are of the world and walk according to the flesh. You can see it and it's clear. And here are the works that we see. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They have no business in the body of Christ because they can't be a member, so they can't join it. And if you can't join the body of Christ, the kingdom of God is also heaven. It's eternal. You have no part there either. So you get no part of the body of Christ, the kingdom here on earth, and you get no part of the, the eternal kingdom in heaven. No part. It is not for those people who practice such things. What about the world? Does the world tell us that these things are okay? Just be happy and love the one you're with. I'm going to tell you a sad story. One of my elders and I went to a congregation. Springfield's about an hour from Bonner. And so we went to Springfield and we visited there with a congregation of the Lord's, claimed to be a congregation of the Lord's body. We went to see them because they were fellowshipping somebody that a, another congregation had withdrawn fellowship from. And so we went to see the elders there, and the elders weren't available, but the preacher was there, and he said, man, I'd love to sit down and talk to you guys. So we sat down and talked to this young man, and he's, I say young man, he's in his mid-20s, okay? We sat down and talked to him about the situation that this person was in and what was going on. And it had to do with uh, her husband had passed away, so because of that she was obviously able to remarry. But the gentleman that she married, she was not eligible to marry. He was not eligible because of some things in his past. And so he said, well, how do you have the authority to go against what the Scripture, my elder, he, I was sitting very patiently and quietly. He said, how do you have the authority to do something that God says is wrong? How can you do something that God cannot do? And he said, listen, I would never actually do this, but I would have no problem standing in the pulpit and talking to everybody in the congregation in front of me. And I would tell them, you can divorce the person that you're with, marry the person next to you, repent and stay in that marriage. You have no idea what repentance is. There's no idea what repentance is and what it means. And that's why I tell you, even within the church, and this is scary, brethren, 
even within the church, we have those who will tell you, God will accept you where you're at. It's not just of the world. We see the world creep into the church in a very real way, and it's very scary to see. But I think about these things, and you know, the thing about all of them is they're clearly seen. And so for those, if we don't stand strong, here's the other side of it. And this is, this is the contrast, okay, to what we are supposed to do, how we are supposed to be living. Do you know that the world sees us too? And they understand that if we're not in a scriptural marriage, they see it. It's clearly seen. Do we, do they, do we understand that it's us accepting those people in that what they call us is exactly what they should call us, a group of hypocrites? Because you profess one thing, but you live completely differently. Look at the, the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the contrast. Okay, Once again, we're going to see this contrast. In verse 22, we see the word, but. So, we're going to change gears is what God is saying. Here's the gear change. Things are evident. Those fleshly things, those worldly things are all clearly seen. But, so here's the contrast. The fruit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law. I love that. Do you realize I'm not going to go to jail for showing you too much love? Do you realize I'm not going to go to jail for being kind to you, for being patient with you? Do you realize that I'm not going to go to jail or break any of God's laws, and that's really what we're looking at here, but I'm not going to lose my soul over loving you, being patient with you, being kind and merciful, being good. I'm not going to lose my soul, and neither will you. Do we realize that if we practice any of those things listed above there in verses 19 through 21, that every single one of those will cost us our soul? Every one. None of these will cost you your soul. None of them. That's the contrast. Do you see it? Salvation is found in, thee, in these fruit. Right? Salvation is here. Salvation is lost with any of those things that are in the flesh. Again, the contrast that we see. So can the world count on me to be godly or can they not? How about when it's convenient for me or more convenient for me to look like everybody else? Can the world still count on me to be a light? Can they still count on me to bear that good fruit? Because as fruit bearers, now this is why I'll tell you, the, the fruit of the Spirit is to be seen in us. I think about Jesus in a fig tree, a day that he was famished and hungry. And he sees this fig tree in the distance. And this fig tree is promising because it has green leaves on it, right? It, it shows promise. And he walks there and he gets there and there's nothing on it. And he curses that tree. He says... No fruit will ever grow on you again. And it withers from the roots up. That fruit tree dies. You know why? Because it bore no fruit. Look with me at John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I want you to see what a fruit bearer should look like or how we need to make sure that we look. In John chapter 15, this is one, this is a sugar stick for the denominational world. They will say that 
They are the branches, right? All the denominations are the branches, all found in Jesus Christ. In context, and this is the important thing about Scripture, looking at the context, this started back in chapter 13 with Jesus speaking to His disciples, and He's still speaking to them right here. So this is to His followers. That's who He's talking to, okay? So He begins there in chapter 15 of John, verse number 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. You are the branches. He abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. And you ask what shall be done. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Bear much fruit. I want you to picture yourself as a tree for just a moment. And I want you to think about yourself and your bearing of fruit. How close are your branches to snapping and falling to the ground because of the amount of fruit that you're trying to bear? You see, we should have low-hanging branches. We should have branches that are about to snap off. You know, I think about uh, an orchard, okay? Kendall and I got to go deer hunting this morning. He put me in a deer stand. Didn't see a single deer, which was just fine. It was the most beautiful, peaceful morning. We were so blessed just to be able to sit out there. It was amazing. Do you know that deer love orchards? You know what they especially love? Low-hanging fruit. You know why? It's easy to get to. You ain't got to work for it. Do you know what we should look like to the world? That appealing and that appetizing. Any of you ever been in a bad mood before? Any of you ever griped before? Complained? Why? Because it's a moment of selfishness that's taken over. And we gripe and complain. I'm not, we talk about bad days and things at work that go wrong for us. We think about times at, jo at our jobs where maybe the day didn't go exactly as we had it planned, but does everybody work with Christians? I know that a couple of you get to work with Christians. But is everybody? Yeah, I didn't. I was the only member of the, of the church at Lowe's. And the sad thing is, the sorry thing is, is that uh, not always did I look like I was the only member of the church at Lowe's. In fact, there were times that I looked like everybody else around me. Everybody. And looking different. I griped and I complained. And I let people know what was going wrong, going wrong in my life and tell them about what was going right. Let me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to show you why. And I want to show you why we need to look this way and act this way. People around us should be able to see us for who we are and not hold against us who we used to be. We ought to be able to show them that we have been transformed. We ought to be able to show them that we are different. We think different. We act different. We walk different. We talk different. Everything about our manner of life is no longer the same as it used to be. And we have a reason for why that is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to go verses 9 through 11 there, Caleb. 
Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Sound familiar from what we already looked at in Galatians chapter 5? Pretty close, right? The same, same things. We've, we see a few different, but guess what? All of it is sin, and not a single person who practices these things will go to heaven. Not a single one. Okay? And then we see in verse 11... And such were some of you. And then we see that three-letter word, right? Our contrast. But. So here's the difference. But. You were washed. But. You were sanctified. But. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Do you see that we have a few reasons right there that we should be the happiest people anybody ever came into contact with? All those things we should run into, the struggles that we have, uh, the things in life that come upon us that we may not think went our way or is fair for us to have gone through. Do you realize all of those need to draw us closer to God but also help us to realize as we sang a song, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, right? When we think about the words of that song, when we think about you and I as Christians, when we sing that, do we live that? Do we look like it to everybody else? Can they, can the world count on me to look and act and walk and talk differently? Can they count on me to be the bright shining light in the world that I'm supposed to be? Can they count on me to be the most positive person they have ever run into? And I'm not talking about this fake sugary sweet person. I'm talking about this person who is genuinely happy at every moment of the day because we realize that we are a child of God. Washed, sanctified, justified. When we think about what's taken place in our life, you ever see somebody and maybe they're acting worldly and you think, man, that person's on something. Do you think that the world looks at us that way? And they think, man, that person is happy all the time. They've always got a smile on their face. And they finally come up and ask you, what are you on? What is going on with you? How can you be this happy? How can you be this excited all the time? Things go wrong. Your life, I watch as things maybe start to crumble down around you and I would be on the floor, but you for some reason have a smile on your face and you're happy and you're glad about it. What is it? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me explain to you what it means to be transformed. Let me explain to you what it means to be changed. Let me explain to you to have a purpose in life. You know, we are His workmanship, Paul tells the church at Ephesus, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We see it in Ephesians 2 and verse number 10. Do we realize that we have a purpose in life? When we transform, we have a purpose. And the purpose in life is to prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. When we think about our responsibility now as a Christian, it's no longer to be selfish. Can the world count on me to be different? Can they count on me to look different? I want to leave you with two thoughts. Turn with me to the book of James, please. 
I'm going to leave us with two thoughts this evening. James chapter 4, we're going to look there at verse number 4. I want you to think about who you claim your friend is and who your friend actually is. I'm going to ask you to look inside, okay? James chapter 4 and verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I love that James takes this and breaks it down, okay? Enmity might be a word that is a bigger word that might go over our head. And so James just says, I'm going to dumb this down for Corey Orr so that he understands this. If you try to be a friend with the world and conform and look like everybody else, you have made yourself an enemy of God. Period. He ends it right there. We have a responsibility then. And that responsibility we see in James chapter 1 and verse number 27. Because I want you to pay attention to this. We look at this for widows and orphans, right? But there's something about ourselves that we see in that verse as well. James 1 verse 27, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You are not to allow the world to blemish you. You are not to allow the world to drag you down. My grandfather used to tell me, Never argue with a fool because they will drag you down and beat you with experience. So don't argue with them. He also said don't ever argue with a fool because those watching can't tell who's who. Ability is to look nothing like the world. Our responsibility is to look like God. Our responsibility that we have is to one another as the body. Our responsibility that we have is, first and foremost, as we talked about in class Sunday, to God. Then we look at it with our family in Christ, right? The body. Can the church count on me? And we think about the fact that, can our family count on me? And then we look tonight at, can the world count on me? Can they count on me to look like God? Can all of the above count on me to look like God? To look like and act like think like and be like? Will my habit of life and the manner in which I live my life keep me unblemished and unspotted from the world? Will my manner and habit of life keep me friends with God or make me an enemy of His? Because there's no other way. You have one of two choices. You know, this is the thing that I love about the Scriptures. There's right and wrong. There's good and evil. There's flesh and there's spirit. There's no in-between. People want to walk that fence, right? That line. Satan owns the fence. Satan owns the line. You're done. Okay? We used to watch the this, this show and the, the name of it has skipped me for a moment. But one guy lets down a friend of his. And he said, you know, I'm so sorry because I crossed the line. He said, cross the line? He said, the line is a dot to you. That's how far past the line you've gone. Let me explain something to you. The line or the fence that we have between good and evil, right and wrong, flesh and spirit should be a dot in our rearview mirror. And it gets smaller and smaller as we keep going towards God. We need to just concentrate on living for Him. 
and looking nothing like the world. It should scare us when we pick up something. And, and ladies, I'm going to talk to you for just a moment. I'm not going to pick on you. But if you have to pick up an outfit and wonder, is this going to be modest or not? Just put it back on the shelf. Okay? Guys, same thing. If you've got to wonder and worry about whether or not this is um, too tight or if this shows too much, put it back on the shelf because it does. If you've got a question and so, just be done. We need to make sure that we look nothing like the world. We need to make sure that we, in every manner of our life, look how God would have us to look. We act how God would have us to act. We talk how he would have us to talk. And notice it all starts here with the renewing of our mind. To renew something means that we make over. We change it. We don't act like we used to be. We're somebody different. We're to look like it and act like it. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a child of God. Here's what you look like. Black. You're black as night. And the problem is this. The place that you are eternally bound to is called hell. I want you to think about it in this manner. This is how we have it described in Scripture. It is a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. That's Revelation 21 and verse number 8. But in Jude, it describes it as the darkness of the darkness. There's no light there. You know, this for a moment. How long do you think of it? It's a long time, right? So let's just say that we have and it's going to count one million years to zero. So one million years is going to count all the way down to zero and as it clicks down to zero, it all of a sudden resets itself because eternity just started. And it's going to count itself down and it's going to go reset and eternity just started. There's not an ounce of hope. There's not a ray of light. You're eternally separated from God. That future right now as you stand. You've got a choice. See, the thing is, all that we look at, and the reason we look at men this week is because we look at nobody else this decision for you. It's badly as we because I can't get them to understand how can you be outside of Christ? How can you want to be there? How can you want to live there? Because right now, that's what you're saying. I want to live outside of Christ. You have to hear the word. You have to believe. You have to have this godly sorrow leading to repentance. You have to change. You have to, to, to repent, to do those two turnings from sin to you have to make sure that you confess Jesus as the Son to somebody burying you in that watery grave of baptism where you come into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what takes away your sin. You rise to walk then in responsibility to walk faithful unto death. Maybe you're here tonight and you've done that already, but you've gone back to the world. Right now the world can count on you like them and not as need to change it. You need to make it right. Too late. If you have any need of the invitation, we ask you to please stand and sing the song that's been selected.